The first Bible reading is from Exodus chapter 18. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, had taken Zipporah, Moses' wife, after he had sent her home, along with her two sons. The name of the one was Gershom, for he said, I have been a sojourner in a foreign land, and the name of the other, Eliezer, for he said, the God of my father was my help and delivered me from the sword of Pharaoh. Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, came with his sons and his wife to Moses in the wilderness where he was encamped at the mountain of God. And when he sent word to Moses, I, your father-in-law Jethro, am coming to you with your wife and her two sons with her. Moses went out to meet his father-in-law and bowed down and kissed him. And they asked each other of, the, of their welfare and went into the tent. Then Moses told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, all the hardship that had come upon them in the way and how the Lord had delivered them. And Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel and that he had delivered them out of the hand of the Egyptians. Jethro said, Blessed be the Lord who has delivered you out of the hand of the Egyptians and out of the hand of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hand of the Egyptians. Now I know that the Lord is greater than all gods because in this affair they dealt arrogantly with the people. And Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. The next day, Moses sat to judge the people, and the people stood around Moses from morning till evening. When Moses' father-in-law saw all that he was doing for the people, he said, What is it that you are doing for the people? Why do you sit alone and all the people stand around you from morning till evening? And Moses said to his father-in-law, Because the people come to me to inquire of God. When they have a dispute, they come to me, and I decide between one person and another and I make them know the statutes of God and his law. Moses' father-in-law said to him, What you are doing is not so good. You and the people will certainly wear yourselves out, for the thing is too heavy for you. You're not able to do it alone. Now obey my voice. I will give you advice and God with you. You shall represent the people of God and bring their cases to God, and you shall warn them about the statutes and the laws and make them know the way in which they must walk and what they must do. Moreover, look for able men from all the people, men who fear God, who are trustworthy and hate a bribe, and place such men over the people as chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens. And let them judge the people at all times, every great matter that they shall bring to you, but any small matter they shall decide themselves. So it will be easier for you, and they will bear the burden with you. If you do this, God will direct you. You will be able to endure, and all this people also will go to their place in peace. So Moses listened to the voice of his father-in-law and did all that he had said. Moses chose able men out of Israel and made them heads over the people, chiefs of thousands, of hundreds, of fifties, and of tens, and they judged the people at all times. Any hard case they brought to Moses, but any small matter they decided themselves. Then Moses let his father-in-law depart, and he went away to his own country. 
The word of the Lord. Almighty Father, um, we ask that you will uh, be very active among us right now by your spirit. Uh, we ask that you'll make yourself clear. Uh, will you grant us um, those, every single one of us sees you to, in some ways wrongly, in some ways rightly, um, but will you clarify, will you bring yourself into focus? We want to see you as you are. We don't want to worship uh, a fairy tale. We don't want to imagine the kind of projection merely of our highest values, but we want to see you as you are. And so uh, do whatever's necessary to get that done. Thank you that you're good at clarifying yourself. And so we ask you to do that in Jesus' name. Amen. amen. Please be seated. And um, <clears throat> please turn back to page eight and nine. Um, we're back in Exodus today, um, so we have been reading Exodus. If you've been uh, part of this church for the last few months, we've been reading Exodus since September, a little bit of a break the last couple weeks, um, and I think we'll take a break next week as well, but we're, for the most, for the next little bit, we're going to be back in Exodus, and um, we're at a little bit of a turning point in the book. Uh, up until this point, the main question in the book of Exodus has been basically, uh, how does Israel get free from Egypt? So if you remember the story, uh, we meet Israel, and they are enslaved in Egypt. They can't get out. Uh, they're slaves. Uh, how, and so the question is, how, how do they escape? How are they going to get free? How is God, in particular, going to give them deliverance? How is God going to get them out of Egypt? That's been the main question up until this point in the story. And that's where most of the famous stories of the book of Exodus happen. Um, so um, little baby Moses uh, floating on the Nile, um, that happens there. Uh, uh, the, the, all the story of the plagues against Egypt, the Passover, uh, the Red Sea parting, uh, manna bread in the wilderness every single day, all that happens in the first portion of the book of Exodus, and the story, and the question is, how will Israel gain deliverance? But now the question begins to shift. And now the question is not, how is God going to get Israel delivered? But rather, what does it mean for Israel to live a delivered life? Now, what, what do I mean by that? Here's what I mean. Um, it's, it's kind of like this. You know, it's fantastic that Israel's free from Egypt, right? We can all say, cheer, hip, hip, hooray. But, the, but now that God has made them free, how is that going to change how they live? How is that going to change their lives? Uh, before this, when they were slaves, their slavery impacted every single area of their lives. It was fundamental to their identity and to every aspect of what they did every single day. But now... Every part of Israel's life must now be transformed by this experience of deliverance and this new everyday experience of deliverance. How is that going to work? How does deliverance change their lives? In other words, what does it mean to live a delivered life? And that's the question that's going to hover over the rest of the book of Exodus. And actually, this is the greater portion of the book of Exodus, and there's a way in which it's the bigger question. What does it mean to live a delivered life? Now, um, here's what I want to show you today. Israel's deliverance is a gift that they are to give away generously. 
Israel's deliverance is a gift that they are to give away, first of all, to those outside their tribe, outside their, uh, their nation. And then secondly, it is also a gift that they are to give to each other within the people of Israel. What are you talking about, Jim? Thank you for asking. Let's get into the text and I'll show you. Um, look in the reading and uh, let me set the scene for just a second. As I already said, Israel is out of Egypt. They are encamped in the desert. Every single day, God is feeding them with what they call manna, which is kind of some sort of food uh, that is miraculously provided. But then in our reading, Jethro shows up. Uh, who's Jethro? Well, Jethro is Moses' father-in-law. And Moses' wife and his sons uh, had gone to stay with Jethro while uh, Moses was uh, working in Egypt. Um, and, and now the family's back together, so that's really, really good. But Jethro's a really interesting guy because he's not an Israelite. He's uh, a Midianite. He's, part of, he's from a different nation, different tribe. And not only is he not an Israelite, Jethro is a Midianite priest. Why is that important? Well, it's important because Jethro is a religion expert. Uh, in that context, in that day, it was standard for most everybody to believe in a lot of different gods, what we call polytheism. And typically, each nation would have their own set of gods. So uh, Egypt had their set of gods. You may have heard of some of them. Um, the Midianites had their set of gods. The Canaanites, which is a different group, had their set of gods. And, and so Jethro was an expert in the Midianite religion in their set of gods. Now, that's important because look at verse 1. Jethro, the priest of Midian, Moses' father-in-law, heard of all that God had done for Moses and for Israel, his people, and how the Lord had brought Israel out of Egypt. Now, Jethro is not just a grandpa that's dropping off the grandkids. I mean, he is that, but Jethro had heard some news, and he wanted to hear more. And in particular, Jethro had heard, heard news that God had done something uh, for Israel. Now, pause. Uh, have you ever wondered uh, whether or not God ever does anything useful? Um, you, uh, even for those of us who are reasonably confident that there is a God, uh, haven't you asked that question? And in fact, it, it's kind of more important for those of us who believe in God. Like, you believe in God, but then you got to ask the question, does God ever do anything that actually is useful, and that, does God ever actually do something that impacts my world, or is God just a set of theories, or is God just very, very detached and therefore very nearly irrelevant? Does God ever do anything useful? Well, if you've ever asked that question, you can identify with Jethro. Because, and Jethro's, Jethro's a priest. He knows or thinks he knows all about the gods. But the thing that really gets his attention is that he heard that the God of Israel, whom they call the Lord, the Lord had apparently done something. And the Lord had apparently done something unprecedented. The Lord had apparently done something that had entirely transformed a nation, not just a little coincidence, but something that had radically transformed the entirety of the nation and given them a new identity and a new destiny. And so he's interested. And he arrives in verse 7. 
And Moses and Jethro, you know, uh, talk, they chat, they sit down in Moses' tent, and then verse 8 happens. Now, pause. What do you expect? So Moses is the son-in-law. He's meeting with his father-in-law. He's, you know, the head of this, you know, big group of people. Um, he used to just be Jethro's, like, almost servant, looking after Jethro's sheep. So there's been a substantial transformation in Moses' prospects. What do you think he's going to tell Jethro about? Well, look at verse 8. Then Moses told his father-in-law everything that Moses had accomplished. All the big success that Moses had pulled off. How the amazing victory that Moses had accomplished over it against Pharaoh. Is that what it was? No. This is very important. Moses points away from himself entirely. Moses fades into the background, and he points at what the Lord had done. Look at it. Then Moses, verse 8, told his father-in-law all that the Lord had done to Pharaoh and to the Egyptians for Israel's sake, and all the hardship that had come upon them in the way, and how the Lord had delivered them. Now, undoubtedly, Jethro had heard of great men who pull off remarkable things and point to themselves and say, check how great I am. But what Moses, he doesn't tell that story. He doesn't tell the great champion story, the great hero story. Moses holds up the Lord. And he describes all that the Lord had done. And as that happens, as Moses describes not himself, but the Lord and the Lord's deliverance, then something remarkable happens because as Jethro is listening to this story, something begins happening within his soul, within his heart. The story of the Lord's deliverance enters his ears, goes to his heart and to his soul, and produces joy. Now, pause here. Those of you who have been with us for a few months, do you remember what happens when uh, Israel gets through the Red Sea? Do you remember that? Uh, uh, Israel was pinned down next to the Red Sea. They couldn't escape through the sea. They couldn't escape any other way. And the Egyptian army was closing in upon them. And they thought they were going to die. They saw no, no way out. And then the Lord remarkably and miraculously opens up an escape route through the Red Sea. They get through the Red Sea. They know they're safe. The Egyptian army is defeated. And what do they do? Do you remember? What do they do? They sing. They sing one of the very first hymns in the hall of the Bible. They sing. They're filled with joy. Well, by the way, singing is just the normal soundtrack of somebody who has been really delivered by the Lord. But now go back to the story. Jethro. Now, Jethro's not there at the Red Sea. He didn't see the sea part. But he hears Moses describe the Lord's deliverance, and in hearing it and believing it, he begins to taste the same joy. Verse 9, and Jethro rejoiced for all the good that the Lord had done to Israel, in that he had delivered them out of the hands of the Egyptian. Now, the question is, why does Jethro rejoice? Why is he so happy about what the Lord has done? Because remember, he's not part of the story. He's not part of Israel. He's an outsider. Um, why should he care? Well, look at verse 10. In his joy, he begins to kind of sing. I don't know if he's saying, but verse 10. Jethro said, blessed be the Lord who has delivered you, pointing to Moses and Israel, you out of the hands of the Egyptians and out of the hands of Pharaoh and has delivered the people from under the hands of the Egyptians. Verse 11, but now I know 
that the Lord is greater than all other gods. Now, that's the key bit. He says, first, I hear what God has done for you, but then he draws a conclusion. Now I know something I didn't know before, that the Lord is greater than all the other gods. Again, Jethro was never a slave in Egypt. He wasn't delivered through the Red Sea. He wasn't part of Israel. Why is he so happy? Here's why. Jethro is a priest, and he knows all about the gods, or he thinks he does. But he knows this. He knows that out of all the gods that he has ever served, not one has ever lifted a finger to help him. Not really. Not deeply. He knows that out of all the gods that he's ever served, not one of those gods has ever entered into his story to truly deliver him from something he couldn't deliver himself from. He knows that out of all the gods that he's ever served, enslaved under, none of them, none of them have ever really loved him. See, Israel was enslaved by Pharaoh, but Jethro was enslaved by all of his gods. But now he hears of the Lord. Now Moses tells him of a different kind of God. Because Moses' Lord had sought out Israel when Israel wasn't seeking him. And Israel's Lord had done all the heavy lifting on behalf of Israel so that they could gain their freedom. And Moses' Lord had decided to love Israel when Israel had never even heard of his name. And that's a different kind of Lord. And Jethro knows that that's a different kind of Lord. So as he hears of Israel's deliverance, he entrusts himself to the Lord and he receives his own deliverance. And you would say, how do you know that, that, that that's what Jethro does? Because look at the text again, he switches teams. Look at verse 11, or 12. He switches teams. He enrolls as a priest of the Lord. Verse 12, and Jethro, Moses' father-in-law, brought a burnt offering and sacrifices to God. And Aaron came with all the elders of Israel to eat bread with Moses' father-in-law before God. So if this is important. You would expect that Moses would bring the offering or Aaron would bring the offering. They're the priests of the Lord. But no, Jethro brings the offering to the Lord. He's acting as a priest of the Lord. Okay. Emmanuel, here's what I want you to see. Israel's deliverance was from the very beginning, not just for Israel. And neither is ours. Israel's deliverance was meant to be shared, and it was meant to be shared from the very beginning. Don't ever imagine that, that this is like not an Old Testament thing. No. They, the whole nation of Israel was... Uh, designed to describe the beauty of the Lord's deliverance so that others could begin to see that beauty too and be joy and be included in. And that's part of what it means to live the delivered life. And here's the thing for us. We see, you and I today, can see the Lord's beauty far more clearly than Moses ever could. I mean, Moses saw a Lord who had rescued slaves. And from that, Moses concluded very rightly that this God must be a God that loves. 
Um, none of the ancient gods really ever loved their people. They exploited their people. They used their people. The people were the slaves and the gods were the masters. They didn't love their people. But Moses knew that this Lord who had rescued the slaves must be a God that loves those people. And Jethro could see that too. But they didn't even know the half of it. Today is the day when we remember the baptism of Jesus Christ. And when Jesus showed up, he just, you know, he was just a regular guy from the outside, and he was fully human, in one sense fully regularly human, but in another sense completely different. And when he was baptized, he was fully identifying with us, fully identifying with Israel, fully identifying and giving himself to us as human. And God the Father's voice spoke from heaven saying, this is my son and I'm delighted with him. And part of what's happening there is that we're seeing clearly that the Lord who rescued Moses and all of Israel had fully entered into our world. He showed up in person and he gave himself to us completely and without reservation. He fully gave himself to us so that we could enjoy the benefits of being not only not slaves, not only politically free, but that we could enjoy the benefits of being the children of God. I mean, Jethro was floored with the story of the Exodus, but just imagine what he must have thought when in the presence of God he realized the bigger plan. So my question, Emmanuel, is this. Can you see the beauty of Jesus Christ? In other words, have you tasted Jethro's joy? And if you can see the beauty of Jesus Christ, then, Emmanuel, it is our happy privilege to join with Moses and describe that beauty to others and learn how to describe his beauty to others. And I wonder if you feel that privilege, or if that privilege has been muted by something. Do you still pray for opportunities to share the beauty of Jesus Christ with someone? Describe it. And let me say something for those of us who are not yet followers of Jesus. Uh, those of us who uh, have not entrusted ourselves uh, decisively to Jesus as our, as our Lord, as our Savior, as our King. Um, when you're looking at a religion from the outside, one of the most intuitive uh, and tempting things to do is to just sort of emphasize things that most religions agree on. So when, when, you, when you're outside a, a religious group and you're kind of looking at them all, what's tempting is to find um, all the things that, where there's some consensus and emphasize that and de-emphasize the things that, about which there is debate. And that kind of, you know, that kind of makes sense. Um, however, here's the problem. And here's why I want to encourage you not to do that. Um, if you do that, you will never know Jethro's joy. Christianity will never be a delight to you so long as that's what you do. Why? Well, think about Jethro. Jethro rejoiced not because the Lord was just like all the gods that he had always served. That would have been just like eye roll. In fact, he wouldn't even have noticed it. Jethro rejoiced because the Lord was so utterly different. 
Jethro rejoiced because the Lord's love and deliverance was so much bigger than any other competitor. And that is part of the joy of being a Christian. A Christian is someone who sees that Jesus gave everything that he is for us in love. A Christian is someone who sees Jesus is God entering into our world, coming all the way up to us, being baptized as if he were a sinner, though he's not a sinner, but as if he was utterly identifying with us, giving his life away, not just lifting a finger, but giving his life away so that his enemies could become the adopted children of God. Now, many other religions, maybe all of them, will try to regulate your behavior. But I don't know any other religion that will give you a God who loves you like Jesus Christ. And everything we want to do here at Emmanuel is just share that deliverance with you. Describe it to you. Because we want you to know the joy that we've tasted. And that Jethro knew. That's our big ambition. So, big reveal. Um, Okay, so Israel was supposed to share the deliverance. Share their deliverance with those outside. But also, secondly, share deliverance with those inside. What do I mean by that? Well, go back to the story. So the day after Jethro arrives and experiences conversion and so forth, um, he goes to work with Moses. And he watches Moses, Moses work, and it's just absolute mayhem. It's just crazy, because thousands and thousands of people, and they've all got their conflicts, and they're bringing all their disputes and their conflicts to Moses, and Moses is slaving away from morning to night trying to sort out everybody's complaints with everybody else. Can you imagine? What an awful job. And Jethro sees this, and he's a smart guy, and he knows that it's unsustainable, so he calls Moses aside, and he says, son-in-law, you're crazy. You're crazy. That's just, that's the nice way to say it. Um, dude, you need to find some people and, and delegate. So, so Moses does, and so Jethro's super, super helpful and a really good leadership consultant. Great. Okay. What I want to show you is that there's something deeper going on, though. Because Moses, and later on those whom, to whom he delegates this responsibility, Moses is not merely doing conflict resolution. He is doing that, but he's doing more. He's also teaching Israel how to live every single day as a delivered people. Look at verse 16. This is Moses speaking to Jethro. Um, when they have a dispute, they come to me. I decide between them one person and another. That's the conflict resolution bit. And I make known to them the statutes of God and his laws. Now, we're still two chapters away from the Ten Commandments. But already he's teaching the law of the Lord. And why that's important is that it means that Moses isn't just doing conflict resolution. He is also teaching Israel how God wants them to live every single day. And it's a little bit like this. So Israel has just been delivered from Egypt. And when they were slaves, as I already said, their slavery determined every single thing about their lives. So, you know, every single thing about their behavior. Don't cross Pharaoh, because he'll get you. Don't run away from Pharaoh, because he'll chase you down. Uh, Don't stop working. Whatever you do, don't stop working, because Pharaoh will make it really hurt. Right? Their slavery impacted every single thing about their lives. But now all of that has changed. The Lord's deliverance has happened. 
And now the Lord's deliverance changes every single aspect about how they live. And Moses' job was to teach Israel how the Lord's deliverance transformed how they lived, how they behaved, how they related to each other. The deliverance transformed their ethical behavior at every level. You can kind of think of it this way. It's as if Moses is looking out at Israel, and he's been hearing these complaints all day long. And he's like, okay, hey, Israel, uh, can we talk? Thanks. Um, some of us have been stealing. Yeah, you're going to have to stop that. Uh, and here's why. It's, it's, it's partially because nobody likes a thief, but there's more than that. Israel, we've been delivered from slavery by the Lord. Do you remember that? Happened like two months ago. Um, and remember how every single day he feeds us do, the manna? It's in your belly right now. And remember how the Lord cares for everything we need every single day. Now, that's part of his deliverance. It's as if Moses says, listen, if we belong to a God like that, then we don't need to steal. Because he cares for us. We're not just on our own. And not only that, if we do steal, then it means that we are not deeply trusting the Lord's deliverance. We're rejecting the Lord's deliverance. That doesn't make any sense. So we're no longer, Israel, a stealing people. We're a delivered people. We're going to learn to act like it. Do you see how the law, don't steal, is fundamentally and logically derived from their experience of deliverance? We're going to see that all the way through the law. Or another example, it's as if Moses says, hey, Israel, um, some of you have been working on the Sabbath. Don't work on the Sabbath anymore. Uh, it's a law. No working on the Sabbath. Well, why? It's as if Moses says, well, because we've been delivered. We were slaves. And, and when we were slaves, we worked all the time. You remember that. But now we're delivered. And our work does not define who we are anymore. Rather, we are deeply defined by the Lord's deliverance. The Lord has done all the heavy lifting for us. And on one day a week, we practice not working so that we can practice more deeply trusting in the Lord's deliverance and not in our own work. Israel, you're going to have to take a Sabbath. Now, what I'm trying to explain is that Moses was not just doing conflict resolution. He was sharing Israel's deliverance at an ever-deepening level so that it really got into the nitty-gritty of their lives. And that was the job of all these uh, judges or leaders that Moses appoints. It was their idea, or it was their job, to deeply learn the Lord's laws and internalize the Lord's deliverance and that then they could apply the Lord's deliverance into the everyday lives of the people they were leading. And that's why the leader's uh, qualifications is not so much about skill and how smart they are and how much they've learned and, and how competent they are so much as their character. It's their character that's really the crucial issue. Look at verse 21. These new leaders, they've got to fear God, they've got to be trustworthy, and they have to hate bribes. Now, why is their character so important? Because their job was to reflect the Lord's beauty. They had to reflect the Lord's beauty from their character in order to adequately describe the Lord's beauty. And they were to describe the Lord's beauty so that Israel could see the Lord's beauty and deeply internalize it so that they reflected it themselves in their character. 
Another way to put this is that Israel was to be a culture completely saturated by the Lord's deliverance. And that's what the Lord wants for us here at the church as well. Emmanuel, we are to share the Lord's deliverance with each other. Your experience of the Lord's deliverance is never just for you. It's for those outside, but it's also for those inside. We need you to share your understanding and your story of the Lord's deliverance, to share it with us so that we can see the inner logic of how the gospel transforms lives. We need everyone here to be sharing the Lord's deliverance one with another. Now, that is, that is crucially the role of the leadership of this church. So our bishop, bishop was here last week. If you were here last week, I hope you said hi. Um, it's his job to deeply internalize the Lord's deliverance and then apply it to the lives of the leaders that he leads, the people that he leads. It's my job to do that, to deeply internalize the Lord's deliverance and then uh, try to apply that to our church. It, that's the job of our wardens, Ed and Brooke. It's our, the job of our council. It's the job of our home group leaders, but it is also the job of every single one of us. Are you taking that job seriously? All right. And do not forget the joy of it. Do not forget the joy. Do you enjoy singing the goodness of the Lord? Do, do you ever, when you sing or when you pray, do you ever sense a certain degree of joy? There is a sweet, kind, beautiful joy in looking at somebody else, whether a Christian or not, and being able to say, you know, the Lord Jesus is better, is, is better than I can even describe. Can I describe something of the way the Lord Jesus is beautiful in my life and, and in what he accomplished in his death and his resurrection? Can I describe that to you a little bit? Can I describe how holiness and obeying the Lord is not a burden and a duty that weighs us down and squelches us, but is something that liberates us and it opens up our eyes to see the beauty of the world around us in greater ways? Can I describe something of the beauty of the Lord? There is joy there, and I tell you, your flesh and the enemy, Satan, the world wants to quench that joy so that you do not taste it. And that's why some of us don't right now believe that there is joy in describing the beauty of the Lord. And I want you to stop believing that lie. The describing of the beauty of the Lord is a sweet and kind privilege that the Lord is giving to every one of you. And some of you will taste joy in deeper ways of your own walk with Christ as you open your mouth to declare his praise within earshot of somebody who needs to hear it. And I'm going to ask the Lord to do that in us. Let's pray. Lord Jesus Christ, nothing that you have done for any one of us is only for ourselves. But every gift you give us is a gift we get to give away. Oh, Father, will you make us believe it? And will you make us so see the beauty and the glory of Jesus Christ and his kindness for us and his love for us and how when we are united with him, we get to hear you say, this is my child, directed not only to Jesus, but to us too. Will you grant that to overturn and warm our souls to such a degree that we would want to describe that beauty to others? And will you grant us um, new courage 
Will you grant us to pray for new opportunities? Will you grant us, Lord, I pray that even in the next week and in the next days, that you would grant some of us opportunities to describe you to another person, even in a little way, in such a way that we actually sense, sense it as a privilege. And that we would become a people, a culture, saturated with the sharing of the deliverance that you have given us in your Son, Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Hello, everyone. My name is Jim Saladin. I'm the rector here at Emmanuel Anglican Church. Uh, our church exists to see and describe and reflect the beauty of Jesus Christ for the flourishing of our city. And I hope this podcast encouraged you in that way towards Christ. If you're here in New York City, we'd love to see you. Please join us on Sundays at 11 a.m. Generosity drives everything we do at Emmanuel. And if you'd like to contribute, please visit www.emmanuelanglicannyc.com slash give.